Uh, Chinch, just, just so you're absolutely aware, there is a dog under my feet. Uh-huh. Do not stretch yeah. out suddenly or you will kick him in the face and he will bite you. Mm-hmm. you know, it's difficult with, the, with this to... You're allowed to... You're allowed to just, yeah. I know, but when I move it, you always look at me as... You have that he does, face he, on he you. does have that face. You do have that face. But what if, what if you were to but do that's that... that face, you're doing it again. What would, you, what would you do if that was on television and you were told by a floor manager to... to but they to wouldn't, because the they're absolutely dreadful. I've got a Gary Neville story <laughs> that I can tell you later, which, again, is just... On air? Extraordinary. Uh, no. Uh, it's not that bad, but... Tell it, us it's, it now. It's, it's, it's bad. Anyway, right. What, what are we talking about today? I don't even know. Well, we probably should tell him, so that while we're doing the... The preamble, he can think some thoughts. Uh, this is about whether 92 clubs can be it's sustained. Like, what is the future I for the football league? Yes. But you will do by the time You will do by the end. Are Burrit and Bolton still... Well, yeah, wavering, yeah. Well, 5pm, we're going to have to couch it in, in very yeah. general terms. because Why don't gonna... City just buy them? Well, we'll, that's, we'll that's come on to that. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> See what I'm doing already? Yeah. <laughs> just content production wow. at all times. Right. He is a remarkable individual. Really what, Andy is. Hinchcliffe? Yeah, again. he really is. Why? Well, you just you give him a topic, and within seconds, he's he's just having he's got to the nub half baked thoughts on it. It's remarkable. Or, or he's entirely dismissed it. Or he's entirely yeah. dismissed it. That's a bad subject. That. Whose idea was this topic? Well, it was it wasn't my, it was Steve's idea to do it as a topic based mm. on a inspired by Rory's yeah. excellent column. So yeah. you're blaming each Along other along the same lines. Yes, we are blaming each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah if it falls flat. flat. I would always say that Andy Hinchcliffe's mind is athletic, as athletic as his body has been or will be in that very very sporty t-shirt. Mm. He has come dressed as a man who is going for a run even though he is not I'm going for a run. dressed as a man who's going to the gym after we finish podcasting. That's what I'm dre- I'm not dressed like this normally. You'd go round the streets of Woodford. 80% of the time. I would say, no. yeah, 80% of the time I see you. Is it super see dry? No. So I'm not relaxed. <laughs> so the other 20%. I'm in work mode. <laughs> this is work mode. Yes. So 80% of the time you wear super dry, 20% of the time you wear gym wear. Gym wear. Or work. Oh, if I'm going to work. 2% of the time you wear a suit. What, yes. what does Andy Hinsliff wear for black tie? Um, a black tie. Is it a black Nike running top and black <laughs> shorts? <laughs> it might be, depending on the event. If it's, if it's Chris Akabusi's funeral, maybe I will. Don't, do not wish death on Akabusi. Chris Akabusi will, on him. will also, on will die at some stage. Would you be invited to Chris Akabusi's funeral? I would be surprised if I'm not. <laughs> Akabusi and I are very close. He'll know who I am. Really? Yes. No, he won't. West Ham fan. Chris Akabusi will not know who I am. No. Oh, come on. We've got to test this theory. Chris Akabusi was the first famous person I really ever saw in the flesh when he visited our school to do a very motivational, I'm sure you can imagine, with Chris Akabusi, mm. uh, assembly for the really? gathered pupils. Yeah. We only had um, <laughs> Evelyn Glenny, the deaf percussionist. Who's not really deaf. She's not really deaf? No. What do you mean? He's blowing it, He's blowing it wide what? open. What? She's not deaf? She's she's incredibly hard of hearing, but death, so death Steve, would be an extension. Steve's saying, nah, not having Evelyn Glenny because she's not deaf, enough. not deaf enough. It's like you telling us earlier about your dad being near blind, but not quite blind because he's like one figure below on the scale. Yeah, that's true. So Although he doesn't go around schools playing percussion instruments. So if you're 200 yards he's blind. and shouted, Evelyn, would she turn around? With your voice, probably, yeah. You she, project but, so but well. Since, just right. so we're abundantly clear, she also does not know who you are. <laughs> She'd still turn around though because I'm shouting her name. But if she were to die, would you go to her funeral? Yes. And if I shouted Akabusi, he'd turn around and go, Booyah! Or whatever he does. <laughs> this is Set Piece Many, the podcast where four friends talk football over food. Joining me, Hugh Ferris, are Steve Wyeth, hit them fast. Rory Smith, hit them hard. And Andy Hinchcliffe, hit them a lot. A little bit of bonus Reacher for you there. Um, by the way, Out of Context Reacher will return next week. Oh. We have made way this week for something else. Oh. Time permits us only one of the two exciting How is, how is uh, the, the Reacher feature going down? Oh. Do like now that? that it's got how's that it, name. How's it, is anybody responding to it at I've, all? I've been work- workshopping something on the Reacher round, but I'm not sure that it's a PG, <laughs> it's a PG thing to do. <laughs> no, that is that is immediately kiboshed. And the hinchless reach around, I think, would go down really well. Your, really? your performance last week, <laughs> the feature as a whole, Chinch, it, it's simmering, no more than that. But I think your yeah. your expressive performance last week was encouraging. Expressive, that's what it was. I was happy mm-hmm. for the wordplay until Good. the sound effect from Chinch, which undermined it okay, somewhat okay. Um, the food is going to be uh, provided by Rory Rory would you Hello. like to describe the incredible spread of lunchtime fare I spent my morning painting oh so we've got paint for uh, so emulsion followed by so a nice mat that is the order in which you would do it the um, <laughs> where's the gloss in this come on no one uses gloss Hugh come on we're not animals the um, no so I've not had a vast amount of time so basically I went, I went to M&S and we've got some 
bits, some some ham, there's some bread. I went to the Ooh. nice bakery. Have you been to the bakery in Didsbury? No. Br- it's never the, just ham and bread, though, The bread at that bakery is genuinely the best bread you will eat outside of France. It's extraordinary. Will I'm not going to name it, because I want them to sponsor us by paying us in bread. Oh, okay. But the... <laughs> The it is I mean it's just amazing. I've also bought a fugas. Oh, who doesn't like a fugas? It will Put exactly. your hands up. A fugas. A fugas. It's just a type of bread with peppers on it. And just take a Rennie. Um, the final reminder for this season's SPM PLPL is now. Uh, you only have until this Friday, the thirtieth of August, at six pm to register your selections. And don't forget, after the deadline, we'll be determining how many points your wild card could be worth if you get that pick right. All the details at tinyurl.com forward slash setpiece menu or indeed on our Facebook page just search for setpiece menu I haven't put my league in yet but I'm going to base my it's not going to be a guess it's going to be it's going to be based around science okay is that okay am I allowed to do that do you have an algorithm I think I have an algorithm yes I do oh you do yeah you mean on this thing as well oh right I generally have an algorithm you have a good algo and indeed rhythm but I'm going to do this my own thoughts I'm going to put those to one side even though they're probably going to be correct and go with science and I'm going to let science and at the end of the season we can see whether science works Brian Cox which type of science are you going for don't you worry yourself it's too complicated like Pep Guardiola saying you won't understand tactics Rory you wouldn't understand the science I'm going to employ is it the sort of science that leads to machine learning to artificial intelligence or is it the sort of science that leads to people denying climate change it's it's dangerous science it's science on the edge okay. in terms of predicting a league table is it science that has been commissioned by Andy Hinchcliffe therefore to prove any point that you would like to make without that did you, science did you just all find, will become clear at the end of the season did you just find someone on the street with a lab coat no this is the science around it will be Chinch emailing someone at Sky Sports to yeah. provide him with data with the XG yeah, yeah. that's n- not true. That's what it is, isn't it? Carry on, Hugh. <laughs> well, if you're new to the pod, the Set Piece Menu Premier League Predictions League is not only succinctly titled, but also requires incredibly little maintenance, unless you're chinch, uh, like a nice courtyard garden, if you will. Pick where you think the 20 Premier League teams will finish in May and sit back and watch it flourish. Also like a nice courtyard garden. The closer you are to the right position, the more points you will win. Add them up, finish top of the league, and hey, you could be a winner of, well, an as-yet-to-be-determined budget prize. Uh... Is this because you've been doing your garden? I have just been zhuzhing up my nice little courtyard garden. Head to tinyurl.com forward slash the back. That, by the way, is an estate agent term for a back, backyard, a courtyard yes. garden. Yeah. Uh, tinyurl.com forward slash set piece menu to enter your selections before 6 p.m. on August the 30th. That is, if you are listening contemporaneously, this Friday. So, Chinch, 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 what are you so Chinch, Chinch has got the look on, on his face of a man who has been sent a picture no, of no, something no. erotic no. that he wants to show his friends because he's still a stool, no. a stool boy. But what Chinch is showing me on his phone appears to be some sort of wood chipper. Does anyone want to buy a chipper slash shredder to save me putting it on eBay? So, come on. No, no. Are, we, are, we, are we putting this out this to the is, audience? This is the type of life I live. I'm could trying that, to get could, rid of could, a chipper. Could that not be the, not be the price for the SPMPL? Well, Chinch, if you're happy to hold on to it uh, till May, no, I need my, I need to create some room in my shed. It's got to, this has got to go asap. Are you are you happy for it to be given to somebody for free and you pay the package? So they costs? win the they win the predict, league predictions and win a chipper yeah. slash shredder signed yeah. by you, Chinch. Well, that's d- taking on a whole new look now. You'll have to pay, if it's international. Mm. You'll have to, you might have to send it to Australia. That is can't go to Australia. It's impossible. There's no it way. It wouldn't, it wouldn't get enough points on the immigration system. It wouldn't. There's no way they'd let it in. No. You can get in touch with the podcast if you would like to buy Chinch's wood chipper and indeed for anything else at setpiecemenu and setpiecemenu at gmail.com is how you can get in touch. Chinch is now surveying even more. No, it's a Bearcat SC2170 if anyone's interested. But I'll just, I'll, I'll just you want it out. 250 quid for it? Do you know what you paid for it? I'm not even going to tell you how much I paid for it. Outrageous! Really glad to see you. Price of chippers these days money. is extraordinary. It is amazing that we've done, we've managed this many episodes without just turning it into kind of a car boot sale sorry, podcast. Sorry, there we go. We've done it now. I've got some throws. Does anyone want to buy some throws? <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice. Mm, they've been sat on by a dog. Soiled? Not soiled per se. A dog sat on them, but they could do with a wash. Soiled. Uh, Michael Aridi has got in touch before. You'll remember about avocados and testicles. Um, this week. <laughs> It's about something else. It's about betting. 
And he says this, I don't think anyone mentioned during our episode on betting the way that gambling is now seeping into the way that children access the game. Namely, there are now countless stories of how children have spent thousands of pounds slash dollars on player packs in games like FIFA and through things like the ultimate team game mode. This has become a key issue in video games with certain practices around these loot boxes receiving political attention as gateways to gambling. On top of simply being accessible to children, though, these games have also tapped into another market where gambling is considered taboo. Muslim regions, Rory pointed out on the episode, on how football shift away from alcohol-based sponsors may have been influenced by the desire for global expansion, but I feel this point is worth returning to. Rory, double props on that point. I grew up in a Muslim region, says Michael, where gambling is illegal, but games like FIFA are allowed to use their loot box systems. In fact, I would say that FIFA is even bigger in the Middle East than it is in the UK. And for the children exposed to it here, it becomes a case of double jeopardy, where the practices that Ultimate Team is encouraging are indirectly bypassing not only the issue of age, but also of religious practice. That's really interesting. I, d- I kind of don't understand the FIFA Ultimate Team thing. My, my FIFA playing is limited to playing either an computer or my, or my friends in my house. Or their houses, if I'm invited around. I don't understand Ultimate Team. Stephen, is Rory, little Rory, old enough to be into that sort of business? Loves loves playing FIFA, but there's none of that going on. Okay. Yeah, he so, just plays a very, very bog-standard yeah. version of it. So as four middle-aged men, we're going to have to say... That's I've never too, played FIFA. That's too young for us, don't really understand what it's about. But yeah, you buy... I don't really get what it's for, but you buy packs of players, and it's to, to improve your ultimate to improve team, your, which you then play online against other okay. users. Okay, but with all those other games that that have kind of what do they call them in-game purchases and stuff, you parents should be able to, can dis, can it. disable that, can't yeah. they, to stop their kids racking up those ridiculous bills? But it is a good point that yeah, that and the, is that a gateway to gambling necessarily? I don't know if it is. More intelligent. It was a very good email. More intelligent people than me are probably more. Worth listening to. It, it possibly is, though, a gateway to clicking onto something that then yeah. ends up with you parting with your money. Yeah. 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 Whether, whether it's gambling or not is open to interpretation. Yeah. I remember a couple of weeks ago we heard from Ray George, also during uh, the betting episode, he had some not so kind things to say about the New York subway. Uh, well, here's Ray again. Well, what nice things are they to say about the New York subway? Well, there might be one you, from they've Ray. Only, they've only just got contactless. <laughs> Gents, you should have seen the smile on my face when I heard my email read out on your podcast, SBM142, when I was once again emerging from the New York City subway. Absolutely made my day. And thanks for considering my question. And Rory is right. Good. Contactless payment has only just arrived to our subway. In fact, it's actually only in a few stations as more of a pilot rollout that I say I see, he says, very few people using. I also wanted to thank you all, particularly Andy Hinchcliffe, for SPM 111 on life after football. My wife recently left a job after 31 years and not having been in the job market in so long and considering what she should do next, I encouraged her to listen to that podcast. And while the worlds of publishing and football are vastly different, despite your best efforts, re Lee, Lee Child readings, she took many of the messages to heart around planning and finding meaning in what is next. Thank you from Ray. P.S. She has not decided to pursue a podcast with her publishing anecdotes, um, says Ray. So thanks, mm. Chinch. Thanks, Chinch. Yeah. Uh, the, the, Do you remember was, what you said? It yes. Was, it's, it's always the things that people. you always seem to enjoy the more depressing stories that I tell. But they're about life, aren't they? And if I'm helping people across the board, so be it. <laughs> I think people people think if Chinch can overcome adversity, then anybody can. Yeah. yeah. That, that yeah. weak-minded fool. Mm. Uh, now, it's not often that we'd include someone's thoughts two weeks in a row, but considering we've just done someone two out of three weeks, it's not that much of a leap. So Joe Highland, uh, who is a buffalo, and he gets special treatment as a result, is back. Dear Steve, another great episode on the vastly underreported world of footballing entourages, which, of course, mm. uh, as a listener, I very much enjoyed last week. Uh, thank you. The talk of the watch experts that you mentioned remind me of the spoof film Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping. Have you seen that? Where the star has an entourage of 32. Yeah, Andy Samberg. I love Andy Samberg and his sidekick, whose name I've forgotten. Love him so much. But yeah, it's it, Pop Star Never Stop, Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping is quite funny. That's my official review. Well, the <laughs> Welcome to Kermode Mayo's <laughs> film review. The entourage of 32 includes this. A personal assistant, a party coordinator, an ab trainer, a basketball coach, an eyebrow specialist, a sneaker jockey, two umbrella wranglers, a weed roller, a weed holder, a turtle sitter for his pet, a scarf caddy, a guy who punches him in the nads every day to keep him humble, and a perspective manipulator who is hired to stand near him at photo ops to make him look taller. A brief search of the internet has not yielded any such ridiculous footballer equivalent, says Joe. Perhaps the pod slash listeners could find more. But then I remembered not nearly enough was made of Chinch's own ab specialist, 
Joao. Yes. Oh. Whilst Joao might not have made it into the contract negotiations, his services have clearly been utilised to keep Chinch looking fresh and healthy on telly, mm. discussing the many managerial sackings that his new curse <laughs> will surely result in. <laughs> that is from Joe. Uh, Joe, thank you very much indeed. A reminder of how to get in touch at Setpiece Menu and setpiecemenu at gmail.com. Surely... You can't reduce Joao to being part of Chinch's entourage because Joao does have other clients. If I told Joao he was part of my entourage, he would kill me, quite literally. Because <laughs> he does martial arts. He keeps in the gym. I'm, I'm not a fighter. I've never had a fight in my life. I've never punched anyone. I know you find that surprising. He always, you know those people that do martial arts and they come over to you and, say, and start doing stuff like that. I find it really... What are you doing? Is he culturally appropriating there? That's, I think, that's, I don't, that's, I don't, no, that's I don't, the general term. I don't, that's, the, that's what happens. I think it's, it would be wrong if he was in, impersonating a, a sort of person from the, from the Far East doing martial arts. No. But I think what Chinch is impersonating is Western people appropriating yes. that. He's, right. he's impersonating cultural appropriation, which I think is fine. No, that's what Joao does when he attacks me. That that's the noise he makes, and he's Portuguese. Satire. So I take am, it up with the Portuguese if you've got a problem. <laughs> that's what he does. And he attacks me when I'm in mid-flow doing some bicep curls he does these moves on me and does those roundhouses over my head what's all that about you know you know when you're abroad sometimes and you've got a tv in a hotel room you've been abroad for a while and you just want to watch something in english does you you, you just think I, I don't really care what it is i just kind of want to have want to have the tv on uh, basically kind of affects being at home so when i was in dreamland for a week all danish tv is is subtitled rather than dubbed which is Brilliant. You go to France or Spain or Italy, they put it in their own languages like idiots. So <laughs> inconsiderate. It's awful. So you get, like, you get like CSI, but they're all speaking Italian. And you think, surely the Italians realise that in Miami that they don't speak Italian. So what, are they not all sitting there thinking, this is very good, but, but why is it in Italian? Anyway, the Danes don't have that problem because they're sensible people. And I was looking through the channels. Um, it was still light outside because it's Greenland. And B- Baywatch came on. I've not watched Baywatch for years and years and years. And as I was getting ready for bed, I just left it on. And the, the plot line was that Mitch Buchanan, David Hasselhoff, was <laughs> saving a... They found a, a girl afloat in what I guess is the Pacific Ocean, so that's where it's set. And it was to do with Chinese snakeheads, the, the, mm. the people traffickers. Anyway, there, there was a scene... It's quite good, Baywatch. It's quite fun. You know, you, it's harmless to watch. There's nothing like the piano solo in the, the credits, that's for sure. And... Uh, and I was thinking, right, this plot is a bit rubbish, and it was about Mitch Buchanan's kind of moral torture over whether he should hand this girl that they found into the authorities or whether he should... And I was, I was genuinely... And I realise people will think, oh, Rory's watching Baywatch late at night. Yeah. On but his own. That's genuinely... <laughs> Far away but, from but his that wife. That genuinely is, is not what was outside, happening. outside, I think you're OK. That is genuinely not you what was happening. You gave yourself away watching Baywatch getting ready for bed. I just had it on as I was sort of showering. Of course and, you did. Carry on. Sitting there naked yes. for an hour. Yes. <laughs> no, this is not... In a pair is, of red no, shorts. It's not this one is, of those stories. This is not... Moving in slow motion. This is not something that we should broadcast to anybody. But anyway... I was genuinely, this, this maybe says a lot about me, I was genuinely interested to see, that would have been early 90s, I guess, kind of how they handled the idea of immigration, because, or illegal immigration, mm-hmm. which it was, because obviously that is now a political hot potato. Anyway, it turns out that Baywatch didn't really have a view on it, and isn't a great place to go for kind of moral and political social lessons. But anyway, they had this scene on the, on the snakehead's boat where they're about to be caught, where the other people who were being trafficked mutinied. And I thought, you know... That's fine. That's not a ridiculous thing. Until they all started doing proper, like, these people who were, like, the huddled masses who were coming from China because they were being oppressed by the communist regime, started doing, like, fully acrobatic kung fu. Yeah. And I thought, you know, you, probably, you cannot do that. You can't be like, we need a Chinese fight scene. They are all going to do kung fu. And you've got these people who are, like, wearing, like, the, the hats that you get in terrible films that it's like they are from the Far East. They wear the, yes. the hats. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they were all wearing them and looking really huddled. And then suddenly they're kind of they're doing the high ass stuff and doing roundhouse kicks and all this. Mm. And it went on for about five minutes, and it was genuinely one of the most offensive things I've seen in recent years. Do you think that's why Donald Trump wants to buy Greenland because he once saw Baywatch in Greenland and thought it's just basically a, an offshoot of America and thought let's buy this place? I'm really annoyed that Donald Trump said that bef- just after I left Greenland. Do it would, mean, would have been really, really good, good to be like to the, the only Western journalist, not Western, it is Western, but the only kind of English language journalist in Greenland, just as this major story is erupting around Greenland. But I wasn't there. Time means everything. So what did Mitch Buchanan do? He was clearly torn oh, morally. God. What did he... Jeez. Did he hand her in or did he keep quiet about it? What did he do? Uh, he kept quiet. Ah, oh, that's Mitch for you. Um, the presenter last week, by the way, kept <laughs> things on a much even, more even yeah, keel. He's lost control completely. Lost it. If you've read the piece in Football 365 by John Nicholson, uh, first of all, John, thank you very much indeed. None of that has relevance to any of the content that we have provided for you in the first 
first podcast since those lovely words. Um, as Rory mentioned earlier, we wanted to do something we haven't done in a while this week, and that is have a conversation about a subject that has been prompted by, sorry, stolen from Rory's fine work. This week's New York Times newsletter. Subscribe to it now. It's free. NYTimes.com slash Rory. Free and, and at least your third or fourth priority each week. It touched on the plight of Berry and latterly Bolton clubs of some significance to the four of us due to their geographical proximity. We have all covered games at Bolton and all of us, I would imagine, have been to Gig Lane as well. Have you been to... Did you play a I game? Played you Gig played Lane, a game yeah, at Gig Lane? It's probably a starring role. I've been to a game I, at Gig Lane. I went to CFC United at Manchester. You went to CFC United. I, I, I went to Gig Lane last season. So there we go. Uh, so either for work or pleasure, we have frequented both the, I think it's called the University of Bolton Stadium, was the Macron yes. and the Reebok before yes. then. Yes. Horwich's yeah. finest piece of architecture uh, and Gig Lane as well. We are recording this prior, by the way, to the extended deadline given to both uh, Berry uh, by the EFL and the original deadline uh, given to Bolton uh, by the EFL to secure funding that will allow them to fulfil their fixtures. So it may well be that when you listen to this, something of a significance has happened. But we will, uh, wider, what, we will widen this debate um, and hope that there might have been good news by the time you hear it. Well, firstly, if people are confused by Bolton, it might be easy to think of them as Middlebrook White from Pro Evo. Uh, the, the, um, but the other thing is that even if they're both saved, and I still have a, this Tuesday morning, I, I still have an inkling that what's happening is the, EF, the EFL are dragging it out as long as possible in the hope that someone, anyone, steps in. That doesn't necessarily detract from the broader pattern. The fact that it would be brilliant if they were saved, I, I'm not confident that if they are saved at this stage that the person who's buying them is the sort of person you want to be buying a football club. You don't want your, your team to be owned by the guy who waited for you to almost die. That's not, that's not a kind of sign of great motives mm. um, or great efficiency. But the broader pattern is that these, these are just the latest too. This, this is something, I think it's something like of the 72 teams in the EFL, 53 are effectively spending more than they've, than they've got. You've got more than a quarter of either face winding up petitions or administration in the last five or six years. The financial situation below the Premier League is incredibly bleak in English football. And that, that is the issue that, that matters in a kind of broader sense than as important as it is than whether Bolton or Berry find a dodgy owner or are allowed to go to the wall. Yes, and it is in that spirit that the question that we asked today, as Rory did in his spot on, not behind any paywall, so what are you waiting for piece, are 92 professional clubs sustainable? Is there a way out of this constant fighting to survive for more than just those two grand old clubs? Will it take a complete reorganisation or is it simply a better redistribution of the game's riches? Can English football sustain 92 professional clubs? In 1989, would the, would the answer have been yes? In 2019, the answer is probably no. But my first question, Rory, and to, and to, the, uh, to everyone else... Hugh and Steve. The other two, mainly, as mainly to amongst yeah. others. Do amongst others. we all, as football fans, do the league have a moral obligation to keep every club alive? Or if these things happen Ooh, for one circumstance or another, should we fight to keep every single let team? the weak ones die? No, I'm not saying let the weak ones die, but these things, and it's not going to end with Berry and Bolton. Whatever happens no. to them, it, they won't be the last one no. you just said. But do we? Should should we be stepping in and saying that these clubs it just simply shouldn't happen? Whatever their histories founder members of the Football League or not, should we be saying we, we should care about this, we should sort this out? Again, that's, that's a really good question. Chinch occasionally does these things that kind of... The, kind of questions that sort of they wake you up, Chinch, well done. Mm. Um, a bit like Mitch Buchanan, I'm all about morals. Yeah. Yeah. So there's probably two separate questions, aren't there? One is, should we treat clubs as we'd treat in the, in the kind of market economy in which we live, as we treat every other company, which is that if you don't look after your own house, yeah. you don't get to succeed, and that no club has a, has a right to be in the football league. So to take Berry, why should Berry, who've not been able to look after their own house for, it's gone on for quite a long time, since sort of 2013, what, do they have any more right to be in the football league than a team in the conference who have looked after their own house and who have done everything right and who have lived within their own means and who are not running the risk of going bust? Why should Berry, be, because of history or because they were already there, be able to, to take that place and another team not? But also, does the lead have a moral obligation? Is it a question that kind of strikes at the heart of a bigger issue than football, which is kind of at what point does the state step in? If you, if you substitute the EFL for, for the 
British government. Which of those two things is more laughable? No idea. <laughs> the at what point should do we expect the government to step in when an, an institution outside of sport is is falling? At what point does there be a lot of people who want Berry to be saved who would be furious if the government stepped in to save? A business or a bank or whatever, and po- possibly rightly so. You think about banks. You think about what eleven years ago when public money was used to bail out banks. Yeah. The criticism for that, not only mm. the stepping in, but the nature of the people that were being saved as a result of the bailout, clearly is something that for some was very unpopular. But do we separate the club from the owners? Because they're not necessarily the same thing. Yeah. So should the club be saved if the owners run the club terribly, morally? we should save the club because the club means something we then deal with the owners that's the difference and where the the extension to which Rory's analogy doesn't quite reach is that the owners are custodians of something that as you pointed out in the newsletter is very much part of the local community and therefore probably does need to be treated a little bit differently to another business because you know you might have a favorite corner shop but if that corner shop goes out of business it's not that just, difficult just to, go, to and, go and find another one. Yeah, there'll be you know there'll be a Tesco extra around, around the yeah, corner. But it, if you supported your club for decades and suddenly it disappears, that's a very different you know emotional yeah. thing to to overcome. And that's where you know we probably won't have time to get into the rights and wrongs of the way that you know, the the AFL and even you know other leagues around the world deals with the governance of the the football clubs they're there to protect. But certainly there should be something in place to ensure that the, the ownership of those clubs is, is nothing more than custodians for the next owner down yeah. the road. And that and the, the people that support that club do have a right to some extension to see it preserved. The problem is though that the, the, the EFL technically is, is only a competition organiser. Each club is, an, is a private institution. They all kind of agree by... by not by contract, but kind of by convention, to play in this competition. Berry, a club could, in theory, say, well, we, we, we just don't like the EFL, we're going to play somewhere else. But the uh, the EFL don't have any kind of... They're not like a ministry, they're not an ombudsman, they just they kind of put the fixtures out and they oversee everything. I'm not sure to what extent they, they could realistically say, right, we are going to... I'm not sure what power they have but over they, the club. But they exist as a monopoly, not, not necessarily yes. by statute, as you say, but because there is no alternative and so clearly the clubs are not going to opt for something where it puts yep. them outside in the cold because even if they elected to be outside in the cold it would be exactly the same as if they were liquidated and had to start again yep. anyway so so whichever way you take that road you're going to get to the same destination yeah. so but i think with this subject what's and what became clear after they i forgot that they they did this now but they post the column online as well so it's not just the kind of newsletter subscribers that select group of people it's a it's a broader less less kind of finely honed group of people who read it, it it's really important to say that that, that questioning whether we, we can have 92 clubs is not to say that i hope Barry and bolton go to the wall it's mm-hmm. not to say that football should only be about be about the elite it's not to say that it would be great if we got rid of all these terrible smaller clubs and all the grounds were perfect and it's not to say that tv that tv viewers are more important than than View fans around to the stadium. It's not to say that, that that they don't have a place in the pyramid, but I think that where w- there's a lot of idealism around this subject, which is oh we've got to save these clubs. It's really important. Think of the three thousand people who go to Bury. Think of the I don't know ten thousand or whatever who go to Bolton. It's you know and com- the people who work for the clubs. The people who well. work for the clubs. Their, their community institutions. All of that is absolutely true, and and I, yeah. The, no one is disputing that that Bolton should not be in a position where it should be going bust seven years after it was in the Premier League. Berry should not be at the risk of going to the wall after 135 years of history. It, it would be tremendously sad for either of those clubs or any of the other clubs to go bust. But you have to confront the world as it is. And as Chinch says, so in 1989, there was this gap between the haves and have-nots, because it's always existed. 2019, the gap between the haves and have-nots is vastly different. Mm. It is a different order of magnitude that separates the top of the game from the rest of the game. So as far as I see it, you kind of have a handful of possible roads to go down. One is that you basically do nothing, and that every so often a club or a couple of clubs. When was the last club that actually went? Aldershot. 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 When was that? Yeah. Early nineties. Early nineties. Ninety-two. Ninety-two was, was Aldershot. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, just before we come to the on. solution, the possible solutions. Well, yeah. I just I, I want to take a step back with something that was touched on very briefly, but were probably worth drilling down on just for a moment, and that is the the, the custodians that you spoke about, Steve, and the owners of the club what what responsibility 
then does not the state but the EFL have in perhaps making it either the choices in who is fit and proper to be able yeah. to be in charge of a club to own a club making those choices based on slightly different rules or more stringent rules or to be just a little bit more mindful of how these things may well play out and it may well be that it it allows for fewer takeovers it may well be that cash uh, stricken clubs are cash stricken more often um, in order to try and find the right people to take over but is there an issue I think Bolton fans will tell you that it was goes back four or five years when they felt like the Ken Anderson bought the club and that he shouldn't have passed the fit and proper person's test uh, I think Barry uh, fans would make the same point about the current owner he may or not be current at the time that you listen to this, and the, but and the Steve, previous one. Steve Dale yeah. and who Steve Dale bought the club off. So it may well have been just a bit of a Hobson's choice at that moment. Well, that's what I mean. If you if you get into trouble, the chances are the person who's going to ride to your rescue is not the person you want riding to your rescue. Which, again, is where the, you know, the measures, the rules, mm. the regulations by which the league decide upon people being fit and proper to buy and run a football club clearly need tightening up there must be something that they can do to ensure that if the person who comes in and takes on the club cannot continue to run it as a viable business then there's something in place that almost requires them to pass it on and not in a situation which we seem to have had with Bolton and Berry, where there's almost a, a reluctance to sell because there's been people who have come in now we don't know whether or not those those are how genuine those offers how viable those offers were but clearly you know in in the case of Ken Anderson even until very recently Sean Harvey at the the EFL has been talking about what a great job he's done and what what a significant part he's had in the history of Bolton Wanderers Football Club well if he's the guy that runs the club out of existence then there's no positive no it's significant no positive it is a significant role in history but it's not a positive one Uh, so there there are two different situations here and again they may well be resolved by the time you hear this is that Bolton are in administration they currently do not have any owners they are trying to find new owners whereas Berry do have an owner who is trying to sell the club to somebody who will be able to provide a a viable financial uh, future to him so for them so slightly different situations but they are joined at the hip by this fact that Perhaps the owners, the previous owners or last owners are unsuitable to be able to take the club forward and they find themselves in this situation where one of them in particular is holding out to the very last moment because they want to get their money back. And here is the problem that you face is that those who have bought the club in times of difficult financial situation, fine, but they want to recoup money that they have put in. They don't want to sell at a loss or indeed let the club enter administration and make no money back at all. So there is the inherent selfishness, an un- understandable one the in several cases. It's a business, aren't it? It's just a, simply a, a business. The business owners yes, who want yes, to get their yes. investment back. And yeah. so are we going to find this problem happening over and over again? As you said, Rory, because of the circumstances, it's not necessarily going to be the right people. But if you are in a situation where you have to choose between having a club or two, at all, owned by somebody you don't particularly like, or not having a club, you are often going to pick the having a club yeah, that yeah, exists yeah. owned by somebody who is somebody that you don't particularly you'd, appreciate. You'd, you'd always take that option. I think what Steve says... really spiralling cycle, isn't it? Yeah, well, we saw Portsmouth's the best example. Leeds is, is, is also a good one. That you that bad money chases bad money. And that you, you end up kind of leaping from one frying pan into another slightly different shaped frying pan. A griddle pan, maybe. <laughs> And it's a different type of frying, and just, it may, you just cooked slightly differently. Yeah, it maybe takes more of the fat off, but it's the same process. The this analogies, this is terrible. tremendous. Yeah. When are you going to butter olive oil? We're just going to be keep going here, keep going. What Steve says is really interesting, mm. and is it? Of, a guy, oh, yeah, it is, yeah. a guy yeah, called is. Ross Dunbar, who I who I know from Twitter and like a lot, kind of made this point when I tw- tweeted the link to the column that it, could there be some sort of mechanism whereby if an owner can't, as, as has been the case at Berry, can't guarantee, can't provide a sort of viable financial plan. That the ownership of the club automatically reverts under EFL statutes to a community-based organisation, yeah, some sort yeah. of trust, some sort of fan group. That's and something I, that's maybe going to have to come in with the way football well, structured really, now and the finances yeah. within the game. Is that yeah? It has I really, to change. I really like that idea, yeah. and it, it feels as though the, the long-term future for a lot of these teams probably has to be community ownership. That 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 is the only way that. That their, that their long-term futures can be guaranteed, mm-hmm. albeit probably at the cost of their ambition. That you, you For teams like Berry, you basically say, we accept we're probably going to be in the bottom two leads. That's all we've really known for, for decades anyway, so we're perfectly happy with that. 
you might yet find that if you get really if you're really well run by community ownership trust of some sort that that someone else takes it takes a look at you and at that point you have to say right well maybe we, we are now prepared to gamble and say this guy's money might be able to to take us forward but it's the mechan again it's and this is where the idealism comes in it's the mechanism of that when you transfer it to a community a community trust who is paying the wages mm. who is guaranteeing the that that all of the creditors are being are being paid who is where is the money coming from? Because there, there isn't places like Berry. There's not a lot of not. There's not going to be a lot of money in that community for people to pledge tens, hundreds of thousands who of pounds. Would, who would start that process to say yes if this happens? It, ha- it would, it would basically ha- hand it to in many ways the fans. It would have is to that be the football league. It would have saying, to be the football league. We've got to drive this. It would have to be the football uh, league, and they have shown literally zero appetite to do anything like that. And I, which is, I mean, this is probably a different podcast the kind of failures of, of football's governing bodies to actually take responsibility for what they should be taking responsibility for. I used to go and watch Aldershot because I grew up near Aldershot and I was actually watching them when they went out of business in 1992. So I remember how was raw that, your that was. Jinx. Yeah, I'd only just started going in, in the few went, weeks before. Hang on, he went to Bury last year as well. Yeah. He's the Brinner of Death. Why is the Brinner <laughs> of Death? Yeah, been to Bolton recently. Just don't go watch Man City. When did you last go no. to Bolton? Uh, when the, oh, ages ago. The, nothing at Bolton is my fault. I can how often have you been to that. Stockport? Well, I was going to use Stockport's a good example, though, of a club, where, you know, you, how you're talking about it, who survived mm. despite adversity. They plummeted down through the divisions, and that's not a nice experience either. But at least the fans of that club retained their club. Yeah. They didn't have to go away and rebuild it from scratch and start. They, not all hope was lost. I know they've had a, you know, a torrid time of it, and it's not been an easy club to follow because you know, at one point they were the second biggest club in Greater Manchester. You know, they were even ahead of, it's not that long ago that Stockport finished above Manchester City in the Championship, and they are languishing you know, outside of the Football League structure at, at the moment. And that clearly comes with its own pain, but at least they, they've not gone through the kind of thing that Bury and Bolton fans might have to go through, or that Aldershot supporters, you know, back in 1992. And there were some, positivi- some positivity to come out of it, because clearly it wasn't a viable business going forward, but Aldershot died, and Aldershot Town was was born, started at the bottom of, I think started in the ninth tier, uh, the Unibond or mm. division or something. Like that. And it was it was great fun. Suddenly there was huge crowds going. You know, most most teams in that division were getting maybe 200 people. Aldershot were getting 3,000 plus. It, it was a real event whenever Aldershot went to play somewhere. They'd take 1,000 fans. Or it, it, so there was some positive. It, it was good not yeah. just for the club to be reborn, but for other teams at that level suddenly to get that huge influx of cash. So it's not all doom and gloom, but clearly... If the way that you're talking about it in terms of, well, if, if the owner couldn't continue to run Berry or Bolton and it went into community ownership, yeah, obviously some of the fat would need to be trimmed and, and the club might end up dropping through the divisions by you know because they're losing their better players, they can't afford to mm. invest in the squad. But at least the club survives yeah. and gives people the, yeah. the yeah. hope and the opportunity that the good times can can come back. As I'm sure you know, Stockport County fans hope that one day they will they will work their way back upwards. Well, in fact, I'm, I'm, I have a plan to take Ed to Stockport at some point this season because I think that'd be quite a good introduction. I'm guessing that a two-year-old won't be able to pay attention to a Premier League football match for 90 minutes to make the cost the ticket worthwhile. But I think Stockport where it's not quite as expensive to get in would be quite a good place and I think there's a lot of those clubs have got probably have that function for a lot of people who maybe support a big team in the Premier League because that's what, how kids sort of consume football now but maybe they that is their local that's their first exposure to football so they, those clubs it's the fact that as you say I went to Wesley Park not long ago and it is it's still there there's, I think Blossoms now the band seems to do seems <laughs> was to it do for the Blossoms gig? no 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 it wasn't for Blossoms but the um the other, I do like Blossoms, so if anyone wants to get me tickets for Blossoms did Blossoms, if you're listening, that would be great. The, um, but they, I think they do quite a lot of the sponsorship. That's kind of, it's, the name is, the, the Blossoms logo is plastered on the, on the side of the ground. and Rich local fans investing yeah. in, their, in their... But that, that is almost what... Holly like, Holt does most of their PR. Holly well, Holt it? is basically their PR man. So I think that the... Um, the but that's what it's come down to for a lot of teams like that, particularly in Greater Manchester where there are so many clubs and Oldham, Rochdale... Bolton, Bury, Wigan, Stockport, Macclesfield, that they are reliant on the largesse of, of rich fans and rich to kind of support them in some way. So if we're saying that in the future clubs like that are going to possibly have to be community owned, mm. if not that, what about the responsibility of the Premier League and right. the wealthy clubs so within the Premier League? Do they... This have, brings us back do onto. Do they even the, think about these clubs? This or? brings us back onto to my potential solutions to this situation that keeps recurring, right? Mm. So one is. You do nothing, and you basically say 
you live or die, it's up to you. If you look after yourselves, you'll it's be your fine. Fault, and yeah. if you yeah. don't, it's your own fault. Mm-hmm. That is one possibility. The other possibility is that the, the EFL changed their statutes, which we have to admit that they have uh, kind of shown no appetite to do so far, that you put, put s- some sort of mechanism, like Steve is talking about, into place where if a club gets into trouble, it automatically reverts to fan ownership. And what I was going to say is maybe there's some mechanism... That was, that was, I mean, I'm happy to take on good ideas, but I'm pretty sure that was your suggestion. The No, no, well, no, I think that's where you were going, Steve. I've just kind of put it into words. Maybe what I, you, I, I wouldn't put fans in charge of football clubs. That's, I, I, that's, a, that's a disaster waiting to happen. Maybe what you, you have to do in that situation is you say there's some sort of technique or some sort of I don't know rule in place whereby the players are entitled to to go and sign for whoever they want so and maybe the club has to give up its place in in one lead at the end of one se- the, automatically at the end of one season and revert to lead two it could be you know if it's a lead one club or a championship club maybe that's what you have to do so that the the, the fans aren't expected to meet some sort of financial onerous financial burden but the club survives which I think we all agree is the important thing mm-hmm. the other thing that you've seen a lot particularly around Berry, is this idea that Man City should buy them or Man United should buy them. I mean, that is strictly speaking United territory up there. It's not City South and East Manchester. United is kind of North and West Manchester. That's the split. uh, There's a lot of City in Presswich and Whitefield, which is just south of Berry. So it is... Contested territory. You have seen this trope that that basically when smaller clubs get into trouble, the Premier League should intervene and say... Right, we're going to buy you. Here's some money from our massive TV revenue. That that will save you. I'm not sure how the fans of those clubs would feel about that. I know that the Premier League feels that it does enough. That it's the Premier League's view is basically the solidarity payments that we are, we offer now are far more generous than anything else in Europe, which they are. That it's not their responsibility to look after the clubs in the football league, which it isn't. Um, I would suggest that for all that there is a kind of moral, a strong moral argument that the Premier League club sh- or the Premier League as, a, as an institution should step in to say we will save you I think that, that argument appeals to me as well it's not going to happen mm. it's basically not going to happen unless there is something in it for those clubs so this leads me on to one, one of my solutions which is a subject we've raised previously and which I like but is really unpopular is the idea of partnering that, you'd, that Man United say to Berry, we will underwrite and Berry in this example we will underwrite your costs for the season we will we will kind of meet your budget you determine what your budget is we will meet that and in exchange we will send you uh, five or six of our prospects we want them to get first team football we will also to make sure they're getting the right kind of coaching we will send you coaches so it's that mutual benefit between yeah so that you, you you we we our young players get to play mm-hmm. We know that they're getting the right sort of coaching and in exchange you get to survive as a, as a could, club could even work in academies as well because quite a lot of the time you will find nine, 10, 11 year olds are at a big Premier League academy are turned away and end up at yeah. a lower league yeah. academy and then often get re-signed mm. by that Premier League academy when they either realise they made a mistake or that player is developed to somebody that they want to have. So yeah. if you're within the system of either or both, then clearly that would help that kid because he would suffer less yeah. heartbreak it's, at the age of nine. Premier, yeah, that's what the Premier League teams do. They send their players out to specific clubs because they know the kind of the regime at the club, the type yeah. of football that's played. So if you actually have you just a partnership... Formal, you formalise it. So basically you yeah. know exactly what your players are going into and you actually, like so if you have coaches there as well, it's just an extension of, of the, the bigger club, isn't yeah. it, basically? Yeah. But, and the reason that that's really unpopular is, is it's basically taking autonomy, autonomy away from the smaller team and mm. fans don't like that. These, these are... The fact that there are 92-plus 90, professional clubs in England, the, f- the fact that the ladder has, is, kind of, is so deep... The, sorry, the pyramid is so deep... Is a is a source of immense pride to English football as a whole and to fans of those clubs in particular. People don't like that idea of saying basically Berry have to kind of sub- subjugate their ambitions for Man United. To me, what you'd do is you'd write in a clause that if Berry got to the Championship, the partnership ended, and that 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 way you'd still have that oxygen, that kind of possibility that that Berry might be able to get to the Premier League one day. But ultimately, if what we, if what if what we're all agreed on is that the the clubs continuing to exist in some way. Is is the is the most important thing? I don't really see the problem with that. This is all leading t- towards something that I've thought about a lot, having covered League One and League Two football, particularly you know in, in the Greater Manchester area, and and what we've talked about today. You know, Chinch asked the you know the the moral question earlier on: Do we have a moral obligation to preserve these clubs? Obviously, the ninety-two is something that English football is incredibly proud of and if we maybe just take the Premier League away from it those the sanctity of those 72 football league clubs is something that generally people feel is worth preserving but 
there doesn't seem to be anyone willing to make compromises to ensure that continues to happen in a rapidly changing footballing landscape. Mm, yeah. As the rich get richer, the poor are getting poorer, yet we keep saying, banging on about keeping our 92 professional football league clubs alive and healthy. So, so something, something has to change, because at the moment you've got, outside of the Premier League, three 24-team divisions, so that's 46 league games that they're, being, they're playing every season, two major cup competitions, plus the Football League trophy, plus... We have a national division division structure all the way through the yeah. top four tiers of English football, which is absurd. It is not mirrored anywhere else in the big European leagues. The idea that you would have a national fourth division is just crazy. And maybe we should be thinking about relinquishing some of the burden on these clubs. Maybe we should be thinking about going back to League North and League South, back to the days when your granddad was playing yeah. professional football. He played football, in both, Rory. played in the South and the North. So that there's also, I'm going to use Tranmere as the example, because let's get out of Greater Manchester, but let's choose a Northwest club. You know, Northwest is a footballing hotbed, so it's not like, let's not go for an extreme like a Carlisle or, or what have you. They're going to play Gillingham this season, 520 mile round trip, it's going to take about 10 hours. They're going to go to South End. A little bit shorter, but it'll probably take you longer to get there. And they've got AFC Wimbledon away. That's like 460 mile round trip. But they're not in the same division as Oldham, Salford, Macclesfield, mm. or Crewe, which is relatively close by as well. But those clubs all go to Exeter and Plymouth this season. Mm -hmm. Why on earth do Carlisle in the far north of England have to go to Devon twice, at yeah. least in a campaign? It's so clinging on to the seventies. So clinging on to the seventies. That's how we've always done it. Just clearly doesn't make any sense. No, if no, you, you can have to. the numbers, it's just the yeah, yeah. But we say about how you actually play the game. Yeah, we have to change the structure of that. We can't just you, stick with it. It's always been like that. Steve's, Steve's point is, is totally it right. Is, yeah. That you basically have to reduce the financial burden on the clubs, and there's, yeah. there's probably two or three ways you can do that. One is by regionalising the leads, which I think is a really it hadn't occurred to me, but it's a really good idea. And the other is you can say, do all of these clubs? We want all these clubs to survive. Do they all have to be professional? Yeah, true. But that's a decision that perhaps they could take on themselves. Give them the right to make that yeah. because you know that, that you have that mix in the in the in the foot the national league, the conferences. Although it's mostly well. professional now. Yeah, but there, it's not that long ago that it was yeah. it was much more even split. Is, is, is there a cup competition where it's split north and south? So the yeah, early round, yeah, yeah, and and the early, I think is the early round of the, the reasons, EFL Cup. This so what are the reasons yeah. for that? Then? The reasons for that to are to minimise cost. Yeah. So again, yeah. if that's already in place to a degree then it's not that big a step to say well actually we structure the league and if you look the at the teams way. that flirt with the bottom of league one and the top of league two we've yeah. spoken about that in in relation to the top of the championship and the bottom of the premier league but but Berry's an example rochdale yep. too right next door uh, as well um oldham have done it as well where you tend to go up and then go down again because the cost sustaining a challenge mm -hmm. in league one are simply beyond these clubs and they refresh their squad by yeah. selling the players that have got them promoted and then that helps them to get promoted two, two seasons thereafter. And so if the quality of the teams between League One and League Two is so similar, then exactly. perhaps the redistribution along geographical lines doesn't rip up um, the, the competition element of it as it might suggest it And would. then you could have basically, what, what would you say, a regionalised League One can we, we just talk the third division for crying out loud? A regionalised third division where you then potentially have. I mean, does it have to be 48? 48 teams well, is a lot. That's, that's a. I mean, that's. A, but then you're talking about, you know, breaking up the, the 92, and that, that's a. But that's, that's a such an arbitrary figure. I know, it's ridiculous. We've got to have 90, but why 92. Why 92? Won't it be arbitrary as well in how you reduce it? We just make it 20 for like normal people. I use the word compromise, and that's what, yeah. you know, we're trying to do here is trying to say, well, if, if we're going to protect that number then where are the compromises going to be made? You know, if you had more local games, yeah, more yeah. people would turn up. Yeah, you'd be taking yeah. lo lo logistically, it would be easier for clubs and fans. So you'd have bigger crowds, greater revenue, more people would be, you know, going into the club shop, buying, you know, programme, refreshments, whatever. It, it seems to be a bit of a win-win situation. You don't have to undertake regular 500-mile round trips and you're going to get bigger crowds. I think you should put some more work into this and see how much it would save Tranmere if there was a regionalised league compared to the games they have to play this it must be a it, it massive saving you know there'd be clubs like Warsaw Hang on a minute. Do. you're the data guy you're yeah, the one with all the science why don't you do it well, what they used all to, the science what, what they used to do in, in Bernard Smith's day 
was this is why he played in the, the third division south and the third division north is that the Midlands teams would change so yeah. it depended on the balance who came down you would end up in Coventry who we played for would end up in in one or the other yeah. because well, that, that yeah so Walsall, Walsall might, might have to, have to be change a bit, a bit. and, and they get a bit of they, they'd get a bit of variety but I just you know just you know to, to finish this off by comparing say to Germany a much larger country than England much better much better at football much better country full stop yeah yeah. Better tra- better roads, better transport, yeah. cheaper tickets. Well, we know to thank for the better roads. I mean, don't we? I mean, wor- worse dress sense. <laughs> yeah, lots yeah. of denim yeah. and haircuts, dubious. But hang on a minute, we're back to <laughs> we're back to David Hasselhoff in the 1990s here. But in, in Germany, they have the, the top three tiers are, are, are national. Yeah, and then and, they're ready on the ready on that leader. Yeah, and they only have 56 teams across those top three divisions, as opposed to our 68. The fourth tier, so the equivalent of our League Two. That's split across five regions. Yeah. They're regionalised to that point in the fourth tier. The fifth tier, which of course is still national for us, is state. Some yeah. of the state, it's effectively, you're talking about areas of the country which are the equivalent to Yorkshire and Lancashire being put together. That's the fifth tier of so their that, football. So has that been in place for... That's their, stru- they, that's their structure. Yeah. That's, they, that's, that's, they can't change it because they need to protect the sanctity no, but how, of did they, did they restructure? You, yes. no, but you laugh, but that, the Germans are even more like them than we are. Did they restructure to this? Or has it always been this the, the Germans are almost, uh, The Germans hate change, hate structural change. So yeah, the, the, the idea of having this conversation in Germany would be even more heretical than it is in England. But, but and, and the, the, the final thing is on this is that, likewise... Once you get down to the fourth tier, a lot of those regional teams are the reserve teams of Bundesliga and Bundesliga 2 clubs. Bayern Munich's reserves play in the third division, yeah. but they have a system in place where they can't go yes, any higher than the, that, in the which same is, way, comes back to something you were talking about a little bit earlier Yes, on. which to, to, to finish the conversation, um, to play devil's advocate to that partnering system, which works in the bottom two leagues if you were to do that, mm. is that if they were successful because of the partnering system and it would only be allowed to be if you think about it for 20 out of the 48 clubs mm-hmm. not necessarily that if you were to take the 20 premier league teams and they all partnered one team that would leave other teams who weren't partnered either by a premier league team or might be partnered by a championship yep. team which would therefore obviously be they would get players who were not quite as good they would get coaches who are not quite as good and then if you relied on that quality to be able to get up to the championship the partnership ends and then suddenly you're a fish out of water and you don't have any of the structure, any of the financial backing, any of the sustenance that you get you, from the coaching and the players you that could, are being provided. You, well, for a start, I think it's really important not to... It's very easy, and I don't want to sound like a... Like a uh, what's the word I'm allowed to say? The word I was going to say, you can't broadcast. Sm- I don't want to sound smug, and like I, I have all the answers, I don't. I'm fully aware of that. But I think it's really easy to... In, in conversations like this, people have a habit of taking stuff off the table not you three obviously taking stuff off the table whilst putting nothing back on it so saying oh you can't you you trying to suggest something and people say you can't do that and you think right well and your your idea is what exactly and I think that so yeah there are problems not saying it's perfect obviously if it was perfect then someone would have taken it off me like my idea for a Ryder Cup of football and (laughs) and stolen it and turned it into a major uh, international competition but so it's not perfect I looking think, at you Mr Ross I, what, he didn't steal it off me I mean Stephen Ross is still way short of my idea my idea is much better the <laughs> Charlie might, Charlie Solitano might be listening it's possible I like Charlie a lot Charlie again let's have a conversation but, let's, let's sort out the regionalising of the bottom two tiers of league football in England if the par- I'm sure you fancy the idea if the, par- the partner idea does have problems I think you could maybe make it optional you could say does ultimately there are bigger inequities in football than than would be faced by Manchester United if Berry got to the Championship and knocked them out of the FA Cup, but with using some of their own loan players. That wouldn't be a beginning to redress the structural imbalance within football. So I think that ultimately, I don't really, I, that shouldn't, to me, shouldn't be a problem. The bigger issue is that it might be other teams in the, in the regionalised third tier might find it unfair that Berry is supported by Man United while they're only supported by West Brom or something. But equally, teams could maybe partner with, with more than one club. You could maybe have. You'd obviously have a limit on the number of players who could go to each of those teams. You, you, you would have teams who would maybe opt out of that system entirely and say, we want to stand on our own two feet. And good for them. That's up to them if they think they can survive. Just some of the teams down in, the, in, in a regionalised third tier would be bigger than others. But I think that these are the sort of things we have to discuss. Because if you assume, if all, if all you've got is the Premier League should support it and the Premier League is going, nah, 
then nothing changes. You ha we have to think about how we change this to make it work so that clubs don't risk going to the wall. And if you regionalise the structure outside of the top two divisions, then you're giving clubs the option as to whether or not they are comfortable being regional and therefore promotion to the top two tiers isn't of interest to us. So that could well be an Oldham, for example, that they might feel as though they've, they've found their level and you know it's a long time since they were you know in, in the Premier League or, or the Championship. So we're quite happy where we are. Whereas a club like Tranmere, bigger stadium, potentially larger fan base, might still have, have aspirations to get out of that regional structure back into the top tier, top two tiers, uh, so that each club can make can work towards things based on, on their own finances and, and their own ambitions. Or you might have MK Dons who feel that they've got a big enough market to survive on their own, or even Exeter who might say, well, actually, look, the way we, we work works for us, so we don't need a partner. And the other thing, just to properly round it off, just Hugh is making the, the tiny sound time with his hands. He's trying to make up for letting us all go I'm off the tangents earlier. earlier. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, none of us are saying that this is ideal or that this is how it should be. Does it, in a perfect world, there'd be, there'd be a far smaller gap between the top and the bottom and it would all be spread much more evenly and we wouldn't have clubs regularly going to the wall. But you have to adapt to the world as we find it. So the fact is that in Greater Manchester, there are about a million clubs and one of the... One of the one of the two big clubs in this area has suddenly, over the last 10 years, got an awful lot bigger, and that has an impact. And equally, the, you can't separate it from the way the Premier League, what, from what the Premier League has become. So the fact that it costs 70 million quid to buy a fullback now for the, for the Premier League champions, the best team in Europe, including Andy Hinchcliffe. 70 million? Imagine wow. that. The, um, mean has a knock-on effect. It means that the team that at the bottom of the Premier League doesn't have to pay £30 million for a fullback, which means that the team at the top of the Championship has to pay £15 million for a fullback. Costs get dragged up. That's, the, that's, the, that's part of the problem here. That's a Bolton where they're in danger of relegation suddenly have to pay <laughs> far is, more money. Exactly. Because and, and, the longer you preserve the 92, the more the idea is that a club in League 2 needs to be run in the same way that a club in, yeah. in the Premier League. Whereas actually, if you started to accept that there is a huge gulf in the difference between those two things, you might actually have more sustainable football at the lower levels. So maybe you can't have. Maybe that's what it is. We should maybe, have done this in two parts. Maybe you can't have. Is this the small bit, Hugh, that you wanted? Yeah, so yeah the, right the, at the, the end of the pod. fifth small bit. Yeah, yeah, carry on. Maybe you can't have, in inverted commas, the best lead in the world where you have clubs that are run by American hedge funds and by Russian oligarchs and by nation states. Maybe you can't have that and have 92 financially viable clubs because as costs get dragged up, so at the bottom, people are going to get starved of oxygen and they won't be able to pay their bills and they will hit the wall and that's what's happened. And to some extent, to a large extent, it's part, it's, in the case of Berry, it's to do with, and, and Bolton, to do with bad ownership. That's on them. But the environment in which they're expected to compete, and in, to an extent in which fans demand that they don't get relegated or they, they at least try, that is created away from them and that's not on them. And we have to accept the world as we find it. And the world of English football now is not the same as the Victorian era when they introduced, when they founded the Football League, or the 1920s when they expanded the Football League. Things have changed, and we have to do something to reflect the way that the world has changed. It's the Wyeth Amendment. That's what we need. We need the Wyeth <laughs> oh, winds like to that. blow over the football landscape and reshape it oh, regionally. Thank you. I don't think, yeah. And I've been on holiday with him. The Wyeth winds are not something more blowing <laughs> our, our American. It's not a warm Scirocco, is it? <laughs> no. Our, our American fans, I imagine, will be saying um, salary cap, screaming salary cap, but that's. that's, that's or for no pro rel. Uh, indeed or franchises right. um, if you have any views on that on how to fix football <laughs> then let us know setpiecemenu at gmail.com it'll be a couple of weeks before we get around to reading them out but do send them in uh, between now and then Stephen how do you feel about uh, the section that we promised being postponed until next week because of the amount of time that you extend that conversation by having like really good ideas and well, stuff we can, either, e we can either do the exciting new feature or will we just have to edit back uh, Rory's bit about Baywatch in Denmark with Kung Fu fighting right well, Baywatch stays definitely save the feature Feature then it is time therefore for never mind Jack oh. and Ori what a soccer story that's a feature that never will be shunted until the week following this is when Andy tells the tale from his playing days with all adult behaviour and libel worthy details removed I'm just checking my notes 250 quid for a bear cat <laughs> anyway, sorry sorry sorry, sorry. I, I tell you, where's my soccer story here now now you can't let it that bit would out would you like either? to hear the latest in what has been a long line of Andy Booth stories oh please would do. you like oh, another yes. one and it's a, a bang up to date well it's a few weeks ago I was covering a game for my employers, Sky. Uh, it was Huddersfield Town against Fulham. 
in the championship. And Andy Booth, as you probably all know, is uh, he says he's an ambassador for Huddersfield. I, he the basically fer- turns up in a suit. The Ferreira Roche type. Yes, and uh, he, he was at the game and Sky wanted to do an interview with him because it was a tough start to the season for Huddersfield and, and he, he's in tune with the fans. And so I was, I was down in the kind of interviewing area. So Boothy comes in. And the first thing he does, he shows me he's wearing braces. I said, they're not a new invention, Boothy, but he was really proud. Just, just of amazed braces. That his trousers were staying up. It's, yes, I said, well, you know, you could wear a belt as well, then it'd be belt and braces. That was lost on him. Um, and we're, we're chatting away, and he says to me uh, about doing commentary work, he said, it's, it's relatively straightforward, isn't it? You just you have a microphone and you, you talk about the game, don't you? And I said, Boothy, a, there's a bit more to it. We do quite a bit of prep. And he said, um, if I named one of our players, would you know where he plays? <laughs> and I said, very probably, yeah. And he, you, could, you could hear the, the wheels churning in his head, which, no word of a lie, is actually happening. He said, um, where does Janino Bakuna play? And I said, well, he plays on the right-hand side of a, of a midfield three. Yes, he does. <laughs> and then he said, as if to try and catch me out, if I asked you what our goalkeeper's name was, would you know who he is? Camille Grabari, yes, I do. He is! He is our goalkeeper! I said, Boothy, clearly, I need to show you. Do you want to see my notes and stuff? And he said, what do you mean, notes? I said, well, the preparation for the game that I'm doing. This was third game of the season. I think, Steve, you were at this game as well, weren't you? Which Jan Siva got sacked off the back of. We remember. We, we, we talked about We've that. covered. So, anyway, I take Boothy through, and I've got my, my notebook there with, with kind of all the, the squads in there, all the pre-season results. And he was bamboozled. That, you know, where do you get this information? The internet boothy. Ah, <laughs> oh, right, right, okay, so I've got all this. I show him a heat map, and it nearly blew his mind. <laughs> <laughs> a heat map of Huddersfield and Fulham. I said, there, boothy, it tells you how, how the teams actually play. It's not just the formation. What is it? I said, it's a heat map. Yeah, but what is it? I said, well, the orangey bits, the red bits, are where the play tends to happen more than the, than the lighter. And I'm thinking, how, am I explaining this to a small child? And then I realised... <laughs> It's Boothy, I am explaining it. But he was totally amazed. I have, the way I do it, I have little stickers with the players' names yeah, yeah. written on. So when there's substitutions, I can take players in and out. And he was just wanted to kind of run his hand over the stickers and things. It was like... Kids do love stickers. It was amazing. He was Were there fairy bits as well? Did he think it was, you know, those, those kids' books? Did he think it was... My, that's, that's, that's not my commentary notes. That's there too smooth. Do, do not insult, that's not my penguin. <laughs> But he was, it was that's lovely. not my Penguin is a classic it was lovely They're to educate good. him on, on and I was that close to saying are you possibly interested in doing some co- no I don't think Boothy would be cut out he couldn't yeah, cut it in the he could cut things out but I don't <laughs> think he's cut out for the world the, uh, the, the intellectual world the fast paced high pressure commentary world yes and he was he was totally confused but trying to catch me out with the Huddersfield goalkeeper that was a clever move, wasn't it? But I was, I was ready for him. I was ready for him. But that's just the latest. Hopefully, I'll go back again. Yeah. And I'll bamboozle him with something else. Like, I'll have had my hair cut or something. And he'll say, <laughs> you look totally different. What's happened there then? And I'll confuse him again. They take scissors to your head. Yes. Yeah. Yes, but he hasn't got any hair, you see. He's like, the, he's like Huddersfield's Jason Statham, but without the, the physicality in the brains. <laughs> If you you have a soccer story, please send them to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. If you're Andy Booth and would like a rebuttal, please do. Also, send us an email to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. I would love an Andy Booth rebuttal. I would love it. Is he a listener? Is he what? A listener. Oh, a listener. A listener. (laughs) um, After that, I don't think anymore. Do we think think that Andy Booth does podcasts? I forgot because he did that for my birthday. He did that little lovely... And I I forgot completely. His brace is... I lost it. And I should have said, wonderful what you said about it. All I do is go and slack him off. So he did bamboozle you. No, the thing he bamboos me with it. I remember the, the the KFC Twister story where he tried. We made him eat fat, and he said I did eat fat, but he thought we'd played Man United. And I said no, it was a trip where we were travelling. It was Tottenham because we were on the coach and stuff, and that's why we did it. If we were playing Man United, we wouldn't have travelled overnight, would we? So again, he was confused. Wouldn't have had the time. No, to do no, five, he maybe but he three. said I got the five in. I said yeah, but it nearly killed you. Yeah, but I got the five in. Uh, don't forget also that the SPMPLPL window is closing soon. Head to tinyurl.com forward slash setpiecemany20 or teams in the order you think they will finish in the Premier League before the deadline on the 30th of August at 6pm. Where they'll finish in May, it's your deadline on August the 30th. Please subscribe, share, rate and review as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thanks to Steve, Rory and Andy and to you all for listening. We'll be back with another set piece many for you to enjoy very soon indeed. Bit like an episode of Baywatch. We've solved another problem. Solved another problem. We were, we were not shirtless at any point, which is a is a difference. And Yasmin Bleeth 
didn't pop by. I don't. Do you know? What? I didn't. Um, um, I didn't um, recognize. It, it wasn't. It wasn't the bay. My, I stopped watching Baywatch. In, I don't know. I think Yasmin Bleeth was in it. I didn't actually recognise any apart from Hasselhoff. Obviously, I didn't recognise any of the cast members. Was it later? Editions? It must have been later Baywatch. Do you yeah. Not the, remember the Is Pamela not in it. The, no. The no. ITV classic triumvirate of Baywatch, Gladiators, Blind Date. Yeah. Of that, their prime that was. time Holy Saturday Trinity. early evening. Well, Chinch would, Chinch would have been thinking about. It would have been on a football pitch thinking about what Chinese to have. <laughs> Actually, that's what Andy Booth said to me. You, you hated football. All you're thinking about was going home and eating. I said, how does he know? How does he read my mind it's like this? He's my head. Oh. He's a savant. He He's a listener. That's I what I mean. He, I'm not sure that he is. I don't think he could download a podcast. He might put the headphones on, but I'm sure he doesn't listen. What was his attention span like? Because this one's a long one. I don't think he'd get through this one. It was goldfish-esque. <laughs> I can see, I've, I've been enjoying The Man in the Window by the LA, LA Times recently. I can see Boothie enjoying that. Really? Yeah. Is it pictures? It's about the Golden State Killer. It, it was horrible. Really? But mm. gripping. Why would Boothie like that? Just, I just think it's the sort of thing that Boothie might like. About a strangler, was it, or something? Right. When, Murder and rapist. <laughs> Boothie... Not, just then, um, um, but he more, he'd maybe more enjoy the solving of the crime. He'd like a mental mystery. <laughs> he is a mental <laughs> mystery. <laughs>